7.03 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Hour two of the program now underway. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintex Studios. My man over here, Jace Bruff, he's going to tell you more about Kintex right now. Oh, gold feet. Golden feet. Don't call me Jace or Golden feet. Coming to you live from the Kintex Studio, Kintex Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. What about Golden Jace? Nope. Nope. Don't nope, like don't that either. Combin- don't combine uh, the two things I don't like. I need to be on less mailing lists. I've d- uh, discovered this. Fewer. I need to be on less. Fewer. It's, it's, fewer. it's less. Yeah. It's... I need to be on fewer. Why? It's, I just got an email from the New Jersey Devils <laughs> okay. announcing that uh, they have a new official mayonnaise, mustard, and vegetable oil. It's Mike's. I, maybe this was targeted for me because my name is also Mike's, mm-hmm. but... I now know that Mike's Amazing is the official mayonnaise, mustard, and vegetable oil, which is important. Who Did you just reply unsubscribe when capital letters? I don't know why. <laughs> why do I need this? Do you think there's a there's a New Jersey Devils reporter out there that's like, well, I guess I'll write this up. <laughs> <laughs> Having worked <laughs> at that level, the answer is yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, last night in the National Hockey League, New Jersey Devils were in action. They lost to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't even care. I don't, we're getting too much, too much Leafs content crammed down our throats. We were complaining about it over the break. What did you get? You got an Austin Matthews signature goal push notification? Yeah, I got a push notification. It was Matthews, Austin Matthews scores his trademark goal. What is oh. a trademark what? Austin Matthews goal? I would look at the notification. I was like, what, what are we looking at here? Like, I don't even know what to expect if I click on this. What was the trademark part of it? I don't know. He scored. Like it was <laughs> he just won the game? The net, I, right? I, I I, I saw that as well. So I'm choosing to ignore it. We, there was a lot of other action worth paying attention to in the National Hockey League last night. Do you want to start? I guess we got to start with Calgary, right? Yeah, that Calgary Minnesota game for a 0 0 game through regulation and overtime mm-hmm. was kind of a wild affair. Watch the third period, it was very entertaining. Minnesota had most of the opportunities to win that game, and it looked like they did win that game in overtime. And because uh, they scored. Jared Spurgeon, 314 in overtime. Now, you tweeted about this, right? And the Flames leave the ice. The Wild leave the ice. They showed the Calgary Flames bench, and, like, the trainers were taking all the equipment back to the dressing room, like the stick racks and everything. And people were leaving. And, you know, the fans in Minnesota, they were like, all right, well, that's too bad. The Wild lost the game. I guess I'll go out into the the, the cold winter air of Minnesota and drive home. Um, and then the announcers I was listening to Rick Ball's call was like, wait a minute, <laughs> why are the referees huddled over by the uh, penalty box? Well, Toronto called in a review for offside. And after many minutes, they determined that the goal was offside. So everyone had to go back to their seats. The flames had to come out from the dressing room. Some of them were kind of like in the tunnel area. The trainers had to bring back the stick racks. And they had to keep playing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually 
they got through it. That's the stupidest thing ever. I just gotta say. Yeah, it was like, like it was like takes way too it was, long. It was like ten minutes, and it was another one of those um, offside reviews where you only had to look at it and know the rule to determine whether it was offside or not. Right. It wasn't one of those things where it was like a confusing view or like this view looks one way or this view looks another way. It was another one of those offsides where the player kind of went in backwards and you had to determine, okay, does he have possession of the puck? But I would, f- I, I, I just feel like if, if you, if you know the rules, like the back of your hand, and I feel like NHL referees should have a pretty good handle on the rules and the people back in Toronto who are making these reviews have a pretty good, pretty good handle on the rules, then you should be able to just be like, yeah, that's offside or that's not offside. Mm-hmm. It took minutes. Like, and I know that doesn't sound like a long time, but it was, it felt like 10 minutes. And, and you know, the announcers are once again, like, kind of, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't, who knows the rules on the rules on should possession be you, stuff anyway. If you can run to the dressing room and the time that it takes to call, if it's a goal or not, it should be void. I, yeah. like, yeah, like, I got home. Yeah. The players are allowed to go to the dressing room. If they make if, it there. If the other team, yeah. yeah, if the other team can get their entire team yes. into the dressing room. <laughs> go, 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 and, go. And close the door before the review <laughs> is finished, then you get to I win. I would like to see that. One actually. guy falls over. Oh no. We lost him. <laughs> Uh, Hurry but, up, Looch! Go on all, without me. All joking aside, that the replay in its entirety, I think, lasted longer than the actual overtime itself in terms of time elapsed. Right? Yeah, and then they and then they had to like go back to overtime. Yeah. So part of part of the reviews also is um, like, okay, how much time is left on the clock? Then if we if we call that off offside, yeah, you got to go back. You got to go back. So, but I'll I'll maybe give them twenty seconds to determine that. At any rate, so Calgary. Ultimately wins in the shootout, one nothing over the Wild. Jacob Markstrom gets the forty three save shutout. Forty. I think it was forty three. He made three saves in the shootout. Okay. Yeah. Regardless, 40, 40 during the game, three in the shootout. He gets a big time shutout, and all of a sudden, after the Flames went into Dallas and won with just a few seconds left in regulation on a Tyler Toffoli goal, the Flames are starting to win these one-goal games. Yeah. I thought Marky was washed, you guys. I know. I've been told. You know what he's doing now? Playing bigger, right? Did you notice it last night, how big I he was did, playing? Yeah, yeah he's he was part playing. of the shooter. <laughs> are you trying, are you was to, he moving well? Are you trying chance? to make Laddie quit on the Was spot? he moving well? <laughs> that was goalie porn for you last night. His, a double uh, shutout. That I thought was great. His, I thought his movement was very economical. Yeah. That too. So very you can look at it. How was his rebound? Control? He was in. Was he was in a. Point? He was in a real flow state. <laughs> I noticed. Um, so that's the Calgary Flame story. Now they've still got a ways to go, um, and we we talked about the numbers about the Flames needing to get back into a playoff spot because Nashville's still in the mix, and Winnipeg, if they turn it around just a little bit, mm-hmm. I feel like they've got enough of a cushion to take it home. But if they don't, they're they're the wild card in in, in this because Ooh, Winnipeg, uh, yeah, Winnipeg, yeah, Winnipeg, they're the yeah. wild card in all of this. Um, the other scorer or the other game that I was watching very closely was one that we already talked about with Greg Wyshynski, where Columbus goes into Pittsburgh, and the Pittsburgh fan base is already not feeling a lot of love for this organization. They're on edge right now. Yeah, Jeff Merrick had the, and I think he threw out a tweet today asking for uh, feedback on this. Who has the angriest fan base? And um, Fried and Merrick were talking on the show yesterday. They were like, they're like, you know, we spent a lot of time on Vancouver this year, and we all know that the Vancouver fan base was very, very angry. 
um, for much of the season. But now the debate is almost between the two Pennsylvania teams. Yep. Like Philly is furious at their leadership, just in general, the direction of the team. And then you got D'Angelo embarrassing the team again, you know, uh, last clown. night. Clown. Yeah, yeah. We can, t- we can talk about that later. Um, spearing Corey Perry, um, you know where. And he's got a hearing for that, so he might get suspended. Ah, but then groin. you've also got this Penguins team that fans already weren't happy with the way the team was playing. And then the deadline came, and they added Michael Granlund. That was the bold move. And not only is Michael Granlund not an impact player anymore, he's got term left on his deal. Mm-hmm. So people in Pittsburgh are like, wait a minute, what happened to JT Miller? That guy's like a way more impactful player than Marcus Granlund. Don't forget they got Nick Benino. And then they're hosting the Columbus Blue Jackets. Columbus might be the worst team in the NHL. They have competition, but they might be the worst team in the NHL. Columbus goes up 4-0, and there were the fire Hextall chants. That were, that were, that were, what was it, PPG Paints Arena? That's it. And then... Pittsburgh made it 4-1 in the second period. So they go into the third period. They're down three goals. The fan base is still pretty angry. And then they scored three quick goals right to start the third period. In three minutes and 38 seconds. Yeah. Take it to overtime. And here is what happened in overtime. With the puck, he's Evgeny Malkin. Crosby off and drive. He scores! Sidney Crosby! Come all the way back to win it. A rally that you'd have to be here to believe. So, so will this kickstart the Penguins' march into a playoff spot? Who knows, right? I, I, I don't know if I don't know if this type of performance, uh, the way they came back against Columbus of all teams, mm-hmm. is either going to help the team or, <laughs> frankly. You know, like hurt the team a little bit. Like, how yeah. could you fall behind four nothing to Columbus? Even they're though in you did come shape. back, they're in decent shape right now because they've got the benefit of having very few games played compared to like the Islanders, for example, or the Panthers. So they've got that second wild card spot. Wish brought it up that he's taken the field over the Bruins in the Eastern Conference. I'd agree with that. I think the Bruins we talked are, about this before, right? I the Bruins are a wagon for sure, and they're going to be the betting favorite going into the Stanley Cup playoffs. But the East is too good and too deep to anoint someone, like put the crown on someone before the whole thing starts. It really is. If the Bruins were to enter every series in the East with a 75% chance of winning that series, right? Yeah. And that, do you think that's overly generous to them? Yeah. 75%. Yeah. Even if it's 75% yeah, just to win because, every yeah. series. Because it's the playoffs, right? Just you start mugging people. There's an injury that happens. Your goalie gets cold. There's too many variables for me. Or the other goalie gets hot. There you go. 75% times 75% times 75%. 42%. It's like 400% or something. Okay. Isn't it? 42%. to get, And that's just to get to the Stanley Cup final where you might meet the Colorado Avalanche. Here's my – if Boston draws Pittsburgh in the first round, is that a terrific matchup for Boston? Um. You're going to have, I mean, God, the, the, the matchup for the one and two C is old, right? Bergeron, Krejci, 
Malkin, Crosby. Like that's a real. I mean, it's it's an amazing matchup, but yeah. it's also old. It was almost a, who's going to win the war of attrition there, right? The goaltending thing. Now here's another classic uh, goalie cliche for you. Linus Allmark. I haven't really done it in the playoffs, although neither is Tristan. Tristan Jari got the hook last night. Or did he come in in relief? No, no, he got the he hook. Got so the Smith hook. started, mm-hmm. gave up four, and then Jari came on in relief and got the win. No, no, no. Jari Other started. Other way around. Jari, Jari started, started, and then DeSmith came in and got the win. Yeah. Right. Okay. Penn's fans were joking because usually DeSmith is the one they like okay. to um, So anyway, uh, Pittsburgh, to me, is in good shape. It's the Islanders, for me, that are going to be in tough here. Because they've got so many more games played than a lot of the teams that are competing against them. Although, big win for the Islanders last night. They take care of Buffalo 3-2. Is Buffalo kind of choking I think right Buffalo's, now? I think Buffalo might be done. I do. I think Buffalo might be done. I think getting into the playoffs might be a bridge too far for this team. Uh, I think that it's a good young team. I think they'll take a lot away from this. But right now, I put Buffalo and Detroit kind of in the same territory. Where it was probably... No, no, no. Buffalo isn't in Detroit territory yet. What They're not mean? in Detroit. Detroit is done. No, no, no. Like, I'm not talking 100%. about the standings. Oh, okay. I'm talking about their trajectory. Like, oh, okay. This yeah, is yeah. the year where you say we're good, we're young, mm-hmm. we played important. Remember how important games are in February and March? And they played some important games in February and March. Sabres still need their Husso, though. Right. Red Wings have their net minding figured out. That's I, true. I really don't think the Sabres do. That's, that's no, a they don't. big red flag to me. They're right. Like, we should have kept that Allmark guy. He looks pretty yeah. good. Yeah, that's, that's fair. A, that's a bad one in hindsight. That's fair. Like. So I think that, sorry, just to clarify that, I think Detroit and Buffalo are ultimately going to end up being, when they look at their trajectory, this is like, this is the year that we felt like we were close and we could really mm-hmm. compete for the playoffs, but we ultimately don't, ultimately don't make it. So one of the other games that I was watching last night was Tampa and Philly. And I didn't start watching this game because of the Flyers. I watched this game because of Tampa Bay. I wanted to see how they'd respond. And they responded fine, I guess. They ended up beating the Philadelphia Flyers 5-2. to two. But here's the thing. They didn't look all that great in doing it. Philly is not a good team. Tampa Bay is supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender. They were, they were supposed to be... Um, Bouncing back from some very, very poor performances, including some performances where their top players got benched by head coach John Cooper. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the game, Tampa Bay had, there was about five minutes left in the game, and Tampa Bay had a 4-2 lead, but the Flyers were really pressing. They had some really, really good chances to score and to make it close. And then Tony D'Angelo did his thing where there was a scrum in front of the Tampa Bay net and D'Angelo kind of skated out of nowhere to spear Corey Perry in the groin. Yep, He twigged him in the berries, as a texter put, pointed out. And the referees huddled. They were like, did you see that? God, I mean, it's Corey Perry, so it's kind of funny. That hurt me. But uh, at the same time, what is this guy thinking? So at, at any rate, it ends up being a 5-2 win for the Flyers because the Lightning immediately scored on the power play mm-hmm. because Tony D'Angelo got a major and got tossed from the game. And then this morning, um, it was announced that Tony D'Angelo would have a hearing. Now, a lot of people thought that was just going to be a fine for Tony D'Angelo. He's not going to get suspended. I think he might get suspended because the spear was so egregious and Bad. so dirty. And he said afterwards, he was like, I was trying to poke him, but not there. I'm like, you're a professional athlete. I feel like you've got good hand-eye coordination with your hockey stick. What were you trying to do? Hit him right in the hip? Yeah. 
Like it, it was, it was, it was, it was blatant. It was dirty and it was stupid. And the Flyers are looking at their team and going, "This is our team." Like this, this, this guy, this Tony D'Angelo guy that has all these issues with his teammates, who uh, seems to be just like a disruptive force, and he's not good enough to be a disruptive force on a team. Yeah, he can add some stuff offensively, but defensively, he's often a disaster. Like, is this our team? Is this the Flyers team that we're supposed to be proud of and to cheer for? Yeah, because Chuck Fletcher went out and actively pursued him in free agency last year. They signed Tony D'Angelo to a two-year, $10 million deal. He's got another year left at five mil per. He's been healthy scratch this year. There's real debates still about whether he can play competent d- defense at the NHL level. And this is what the Flyers are. They're a mismatch of unfitting parts, a blue line that is atrocious, a head coach that is basically not enamored with a half his active roster. And you've got people calling for the sale of the team at the very top, the dismissal dismissal of Chuck Fletcher in the middle, and then a whole new roster on the ice. So in terms of the more angry fan base in the Keystone state of Pennsylvania, to me, it's an easy one. It's Philadelphia all the way. Because mm-hmm. at the very least, you could say, hey, the Penguins are probably going to punch your tickets to the playoffs, and they got Crosby. That, to me, means that you're way ahead as a franchise, regardless of whatever is going on in Philadelphia. Also, I just wanted to tack on something here. For, I know D'Angelo was the big takeaway there. For me, the most important takeaway was that Victor Hedman didn't play last night. Yeah. I don't know. They're being really coy about what's going on there. Mm-hmm. They're classifying it as day-to-day. Yeah. But he left that 6 nothing loss to Carolina with an injury, tried to come back and take a shift, lasted 11 seconds, then they shut him down, and then the very next game he's not in. If Hedman is not 100%, I think it's fair to suggest he might not be, mm-hmm. they're screwed. They Espe- are completely yeah. screwed. Especially considering their defense had already lost Ryan McDonough. Yep. And Fridge was talking about this the other day on – it was either the podcast or the show or the Jeff Merrick show, how Breezebois, the general manager there in Tampa Bay, probably feels like he's one defenseman short. And like he wants, yeah, he wants, sure. yeah, and, and and like Hedman counts as three defensemen. <laughs> yeah. He's that important. So one of the things that I noted when the Flyers were pushing at the end, I was like, man, the Tampa Bay defense looks big, but they also look slow. Like you're watching Zach Bogosian out there, right? Yeah. And he's a big, tough veteran defenseman, but he doesn't move that well. And uh, you know the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are going to be their opponents uh, in the first round of the playoffs. They got a lot of speed. Yep. It is going to be you know? a re- – this scares me. As someone that – I think Toronto's going to win. I, I, I've said it all all year, and I'm going to stick by it. I think Toronto's going to get their first-round win this year, the only even thing, with their goaltending. The only thing we can hope for – two things, really. One is that the goaltending implodes for Toronto. And two is that the, the mental strain and the pressure just makes them crumble. But outside of that, I don't see a lot of other. Ele- they didn't crumble last year, though. They didn't crumble. They did. They crumbled. No, they didn't. Out of the playoffs, they didn't crumble. They didn't crumble. The Montreal series, that was a crumbling. That was like the biggest choke. If you lose in the first all, round, you crumble. Chokes. If you okay. lose in the first round for five years in a row, you crumble. You're a crumble team. You're like a cake. Like you a lose cup. five years in a row. That's a crumbling. <laughs> That's a crumbling. <laughs> Uh, but uh, crumble out- soup in my crackers. <laughs> oh, you better believe that's a crumbling. Out of 
Out of the all the elements that could go against the Leafs this year, this is the one where I'm like, outside of goaltending and maybe the pressure getting to them, mm-hmm. they tick every other box over the, the Lightning right Can now. Can you imagine being Samsonoff right now or even Matt Murray or even who's, who's, who's the young kid? Joseph, Joseph Wall. Imagine being those guys and being – Greg thinks should be the starter in the playoffs, by the way. Well, I mean, he's got the best numbers. Small sample size. Great college career. He's been injured is the only reason he hasn't really had an opportunity yet. He could be their camp like ward. Him. Can you imagine being those guys, though, and, and thinking, like, <laughs> one of us better step up and play well? Yeah, that's the pressure. You that's... think Kyle Dubas is like, one of you step up and play well. Please, I'm begging you. He's gonna My an- job. He's going to anoint one of them before the series. He's like, you are the chosen one. Because that's going to be screw this up. That's going to be the narrative going into this series. People will say, like, okay, the Leafs have the advantage up front. The Leafs have the advantage on the back end. Mm-hmm. People will say that's whether you agree with it or not. It's in goal, which is the big wild card because Tampa Bay has Vasilevsky and Toronto has mm-hmm. – they don't even know who their starter is going to be. Like, I think in Edmonton now, I think the conclusion has been made that Skinner is going to be the starter. Skinner's a guy. And they're treating Skinner like the starter. Yep. Like, they're treating Markey like the starter in Calgary. They basically said, listen, Markey's going to get the games. Yep. Markey's our guy. Vladar is not. But in Toronto, it feels like it hasn't been determined yet. Unless I'm misreading this, no, it because it, it because it feels like uh, you know they're waiting for Murray to get fully healthy. Um, Samsonov, people will be like, yeah, he's okay. But Matt Murray is the guy that's won the cups. He's My, yeah. he's been in this position before. He's done it. Samsonov hasn't. My take, Joseph Wolf certainly hasn't. My take on the situation is they want it to be Murray, organizationally. Is they want it to be him, so they're gonna. And they went on, got him. Yeah, they're gonna wait and wait and wait until they're. And I think it's gonna happen. I think almost. You I'm, think he's gonna be the starter? I think he's gonna be the game one. For starter. his ups and downs, his save percentage isn't all that different from Samsonov's. It's, Look, right. Yeah. I like, think. I think there's less than ten points. I think there's not a hardcore argument no. for either of them in Edmonton. You look at the the numbers and you're like, yeah, Skinner's not the name. He's not the guy making all the money. But look at him. He's been so much better. I think there's some uh, old-school hockey rhetoric here that they're going to lean into, that Murray's done it before. Because the difference with between that and the Edmonton situation is Jack Campbell doesn't have a resume to throw out there. Yeah. He's, got He's never won a playoff. He's never He's done it. professional right? in his career. They're going to go back to, well... Maddie's done it in the playoffs before. We know he's a proven winner. Mm-hmm. And and that's he's some, a winner. That sometimes makes the decision easier for you when people question you after the fact, when you spectacularly flame out in the first round for the sixth consecutive year. That's why Tampa Bay should have gotten Brock Besser at the deadline because Brock owns Matt Murray. Yes. Nick Shook is going to come up next on the Halford and Bruff show. We're going to take a slight detour to the NFL. Lots of stories in the National Football League, including the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. <laughs> I guess being forced to continue the relationship because of rules in the CBA. Lamar Jackson got the non-exclusive franchise tag. We'll get into that debate with Nick. Uh, Eight o'clock, Chris Faber will join us. And Fabes is good with the prospects. He knows NHL prospects. So we can talk to him about some of the Anaheim Ducks prospects and whether the Ducks or the Canucks are better suited to win the Stanley Cup in the next five, seven, ten years years. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7.33 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of this program. We're right in the middle of it. Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us in just a second here. Uh, hour two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. Time for some pigskin talk. You know, they, they, there's that cliche going around that there's never an offseason in the NFL, but it's true. Our next guest, Nick Shook, I think we bid him adieu, farewell. Like, mm-hmm. thanks for joining us this season, like two weeks ago. Right. And now he's back, Nick Shook, on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What's up, bud? How you doing? <laughs> there has never been a more accurate statement than that. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what, guys. If you ever need anybody to justify or validate the idea that there is no offseason, you've come to the right guy here. I was saying, like, we were scrolling through your timeline and dutifully prepping for the hit. And I'm like, damn, Nick's putting in work. He's <laughs> writing, like, 12 articles a day. Because you did the combine. <laughs> it's the start of free agency. There's a lot going on. We'll, we'll get uh, to the yeah. comic. Did you want to jump yeah, in? Yeah, let's, let's start with Lamar Jackson. The Ravens had to use their franchise tag uh, to keep Lamar Jackson. How does this impact the relationship between player and team going forward? Uh, in that specific instance, I don't think it, it impacts much because the fact that it took them two years to even get to this point probably says it all. But I also think it's it's an interesting case study on the future of contracts in the NFL. And, and you know, which, if you just, you know, what the Browns did with Deshaun Watson was, you know, an outlier. It was unprecedented. Technically, it wasn't unprecedented. Kirk Cousins once got a fully guaranteed deal, but right. not for that much money over that much time. Uh, and it, it kind of, you know, it, so it essentially set a new precedent. And the big question was whether, you know, the Ravens would foot the bill for Lamar. And to this point, they have not. And, and so they had no choice but to tag him. And I think everybody understands that. Now it's a question of whether, you know, another team decides to say, hey, you know what? We think you're worth two first-round picks and all this guaranteed money. We'll slide this offer to you or not. I'm curious to see if another team does enter the bidding because, you know, it, it's not exclusive. So, that, you know, they, they can do that, but it's also not a cheap price to pay when you consider the money that you have to spend and the picks that you have to give up. It's just, you know, it, it, the, the strange thing about it, I just keep thinking about this in my head, is, you know, teams would totally give up two first-round picks for Lamar, for Lamar Jackson. And, and a contract would be part of that but the fact that they're going to have to outbid and give up the picks makes it um, a little more interesting and I think more than anything um, it, the way that it shapes you know the outlook in free agency in years to come uh, when it comes to guaranteed contracts I think you know factors into this a lot more than we might be realizing. Is there a team that comes to mind that that might make an offer? I'm thinking about the Raiders for some reason. I don't know that feels like a Raiders move. <laughs> you, still, you still have visions of Al Davis uh, yeah, maybe you know, that's it. Sparing no expense. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people thought the Falcons, and so when the Falcons kind of came out and said, you know, we're not pursuing him, that was, you know, kind of a head-scratcher. I could see even a team like even the Lions. I think about teams with two first-round picks. You know, it's not necessarily that the Lions would want to remove Jared Goff or Lamar Jackson, although you'd think that would be an upgrade um, because they have a good thing going there with an explosive offense and whatnot from last year, but it's just, you know, you think about a player of Lamar's caliber and you, the only big question that you have with him is, you know, can he play a full 17 games? Because he, 
you know, early in his career he did, and he's run injury issues each of the last couple of years, and they they neither have been on scrambling attempts, by the way. They've been when he's dropping the pass, mm-hmm. um, which is contrary to popular belief. And but that's that's a huge question mark. You know, durability is is one of, you know availability is the most important ability, right? You know, durability is right there with it. So I I could imagine that any team that needs a quarterback would be interested, but it is a high price to pay. So I lean toward the teams with multiple first round picks this year, which puts you know shrinks that popular you know that, that group down a little bit to teams like Detroit. And um, so I think it just remains interesting. Are we missing something here? Is this really just come down to him being able to stay healthy or not being able to stay healthy? Because this is a the straight up standoff between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson now. I mean, it's a non exclusive tag, which is in, we tried explaining it earlier. And then we got into a dating analogy; it didn't work well. But um, you know, I think I think the important thing to note here is that this guy was the MVP of the National Football League four years ago. He's the face of that franchise. I mean, he's probably the most popular player since, I don't know, Ray Lewis way back in the day. Like, he meant something to Baltimore. He meant something to that organization. He was the best player in football not too long ago, and now it is a full-on standoff. Are we missing anything here? Um, I mean, the, the durability thing, I think. I also – I think people wonder if what his ceiling is. because, And this is kind of unfair to him to, to a degree because – you know, the way that they crafted their offense around him when he entered the league and when he took over at quarterback, it was, hey, we're going to use his legs primarily, right? We're going to run this read option offense. We're going to be able to attack you from a number of different angles, and we're going to throw the ball a little bit in between. And to the point where Lamar got frustrated and, and you know, said, hey, we're, teams know what's coming. There's enough tape on us out there now that they know what's coming. So they adjusted last year. They threw the ball more. And it was working. He was throwing, And he can throw the ball, by the way. Everybody thinks he can't throw. He can throw. It's just that you know, it might not look the same as, as what some other people are used to because he's so dynamic. He doesn't need to play that way. You know, that's, that's part of what makes him special. But then ultimately, you know, he gets hurt again and, and they, you know, fall short of, of their expectations because they've got a role with Tyler Huntley and Anthony Brown. And it's just, you know, it's a couple of years of this now. At what point do the Ravens think, hey, you know, maybe this is a liability that we shouldn't fork over all this money for. And I also think, you know, this was coming. This was coming the moment that the, the Watson deal happened in Cleveland, I, I feel like this was coming because all you have to do is look back to the owner's comments, Steve Bashotti, uh, on, on the whole matter. I mean, he was one of the first people to kind of be upset about it and, uh, and voice, you know, his opinions on it, you know, feeling that, you know, he felt that Watson wasn't the guy that should have gotten the first fully guaranteed contract at that magnitude, which I don't disagree with necessarily. Um, but I think there was also the undertones of, of hey, you know, we, we're going to have to, you know, we're, not, we're setting a, a precedent here that's going to cost a lot of the owners a lot of money. Uh, and and some teams it's easier to do than others. So I think it's just a whole bunch of different elements all coming into one. It's not as simple as this guy's really good. We got to do whatever we can to keep him because you know the, once that precedent was set, you know it's not like uh, you know they've, they've been negotiating close to ne- near terms together here. They've been pretty far apart for a while. Nick, did the NFL Combine change uh, the consensus opinions about any of the quarterbacks in the class? Well, I think consensus is pretty hard to find at any position, and especially quarterback more than anything, because everybody's got a take, right? But um, I think I think that Bryce Young lost a little money by not participating. I think that C.J. Stroud made some money by participating and putting on a show, and I think Anthony Richardson gained the most out of any quarterback from this entire combine with his performance and the arm. I mean, just sitting there in that stadium, man, and, and watching those throws. Now, here's the thing. He he's he's got an incredible arm. I mean, the arm talent and the delivery and everything else—it's effortless. It's 
it's the stuff where you see him just let it rip and you're like, that's, that guy can be in the hall of fame if he can do that consistently. But the problem is, is his footwork is, is not clean and, and it showed up in his workout alone. I mean, it, at, at a throw of every depth, an out, a short out route, um, a sail route down the sideline, um, you know, a, a route, a quick route over the a hard slant, whatever it is you want. If his feet did not follow, which, but you know, he, he basically tries to back foot the throw cause he knows he's talented. He knows he can just flick of the wrist, let that thing rip. But so every once in a while he doesn't, you know, get his feet fully into it and he kind of back foot throws it and it made him sail one early on an out round. Then he under threw one deep, deep down the field later because of the same thing. He dips the back shoulder a little bit. He's just not focused on the fundamentals as much. And he even admitted it right after. He's like, I got to, you know, the one thing I can fix is cleaning up my feet. And and if he does, he'll be incredibly special. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding you. Legendarily good. But so I think that a lot of teams saw that and they realized, hey, you know, we've got to take this guy a lot more seriously than maybe we were before. Um, you know, it helps that you do that on the national stage when everybody's paying attention. You know, whoever's into watching workouts, people like me, people like you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that he made the most money, but I also think that C.J. Stroud really helped himself um, when it comes to deciding where they, these quarterbacks are going to go in the first round. From uh, Nick Shook's official Twitter account, the Nick Shook, at the Nick Shook, the quote, Richardson deep throws gave me chills. That's how beautiful they were. And then in light of that, you still had your all-combine quarterback as C.J. Stroud. So with all of this that went on, how fundamentally different do you think the top part of the NFL draft is going to be? Because it's almost this great you know, chaos agent where you've got all these teams that need quarterbacks, and suddenly you've got all these really talented quarterbacks yeah. available to be drafted. The Bears are going to trade that pick, right? We all know. Is it, is it, we're looking for consensus here. Is that the consensus that the Bears are going to trade that pick? I think the consensus with with logic and wisdom is to trade the pick. <laughs> yeah, like they want to blow up the whole quarterback. I mean, they already have a guy in Justin Fields, so I think it's going to be great as long as they surround him. And I think they need to focus on accruing assets to surround him with that type of talent. So I think they trade that pick, and whoever gets that pick is going to have their pick of the litter. I mean, yeah. it's going to be. Do you want Stroud? Do you want Young? Do you want Richardson? Do you want somebody else? I think that the only other player that might have been worthy of the number one overall pick, uh, his status is kind of up in the air because of what happened, uh, you know, Jalen Carter during the combine, you know, and what happened with him in that car wreck in January. So um, I I think that anybody who moves up there is going to be in search of a quarterback and they're trying to get in front of Houston to, to take that quarterback. But I will say this, there's two guys, maybe three that I'm very confident in can go be stars in this league. One of them's Stroud. The other one's Richardson if he cleans up his feet. And the other one's Young, even though he's smaller, just because, you know, there's enough examples out there. That kid's a gamer. That kid's a baller. And he'll find a way to make it work. Uh, the rest of this class, beyond that, I don't know. Uh, I'm not super sold on Levis. Um, I, did, I, I thought Max Duggan had a terrible workout. And, um, and there were a few other guys where I was just like, you know, lower-level guys that you see day two, day three, who might step in and make a difference. But I think that this group is – you know, you're going to see five names or so about these quarterbacks, but I think you know three have a really good shot of of actually being the quarterback that these teams hope they will be. And if and if there are teams that think the same way, then maybe the demand is not quite as high unless they're absolutely in love with a Stroud or a Richardson or a Young, and that's what drives the movement in the first round. Hey Nick, can uh, we actually had this conversation with KJ Wright, who we had uh, on the show uh, yesterday, one of our favorite Seahawks of all time. Um, and we were talking about the NFL combine and whether or not teams can get fooled by 
either a good workout or a bad workout. And we were kind of having the conversation, you know, what's the difference between a great athlete and a great player? Can you think of anything uh, in your time covering the NFL where there's been a player that either had a really good workout and people were like drooling over the athleticism and all the technical ability, and then you throw that player in a game situation and either the pressure gets to him or he just doesn't have that instinct, or maybe an alternative where you've got a player that has a bad workout and then all of a sudden you put him in a game situation and he's just got that it factor. Um, I mean, I could, you could go right back to, what, two years ago. Zach Wilson's pro day was phenomenal. And, and it basically cemented him at number two overall in that class behind Trevor Lawrence. And and then we've seen what's happened since then. And a lot of that is because it's orchestrated to show off their strengths. You know, the off-platform, down-the-field, you know, down-the-scene throw that everybody remembers, uh, you know, really pushed him up there to where they were like, this kid's going to be a baller. And it hasn't really panned out for him for a number of different reasons. Um I, I, that's probably the first one that comes to mind. I, I honestly think that um, uh, you know, what you learn more, at least for me, because, you know, I'm covering the league and I'm, and I'm following college football, but I'm not, you know, like deep into the college tape, like some other draft right. people are on, online just because it's just a lack of time. So I learn a lot of it. I know who these guys are, but I learn a lot about their styles by sitting in the stadium and watching their workout and taking notes and everything. And, I think a lot of times that stuff does translate, but you also see a lot of that on the tape and the workout and the drills kind of confirms that. So then the big separator is the testing. But if you go back to the whole Stroud over Richardson thing, um, unlike on my all combine team, the reason I picked Stroud is because he was as close to as flawless as you could possibly be in the throwing drills. I mean, I've never seen somebody that accurate and that composed and just hitting every throw in, in the quarterback drill in the six years I've been going to the combine. So um, and watching this in person. So it, it was remarkable to me. And I think our Daniel Jeremiah kind of said something similar where he's like, you know, he's having one of the best throwing performances I've ever seen. That's that's exactly what I thought too, just sitting there watching it. But Richardson tests off the charts. So, and his throwing workout is not quite as good, but both guys could be really good. Um, and Richardson, I think because of the athleticism could be great, could be legendary. Whereas I know Stroud's probably going to be pretty good as long as you you know, surround him with an offensive line that's adequate with protection. And he decides to trust his leg a little bit more than he did in college, which he talked about on the podium as well. So to kind of deviate from your original question, um, I think it's just a matter of trying to balance between the two. You know, how much do you value the testing? Because the testing often separates, you know, a, a Jag, you know, just a guy from a, mm. a, an all-pro or a Pro Bowl or somebody that you really value on your team. Just those tenths of seconds, especially the broad jump and the 40 and stuff like that, and then the agility drills, depending on what the position is, those do matter. But there are also times in the past where guys come out and put down an, oh, you know what just came to mind? Jabril Peppers had a phenomenal workout. <laughs> and, right. And people didn't even know what position he was going to play. Yeah. Uh, and he's had a decent career, but it hasn't lived up to the first-round status that he went to the Browns with. So, um, you know, I, I think you got to be careful with falling in love with those numbers. you got to mix it with the tape. And that's why I love trusting the drills more than anything, because that's just gives you the best idea of what type of football player they are when they're compared with all these other guys that are also entering the league with them. Yeah, and it's, I mean, to go back to the quarterback thing as well, right? It's such an important position and it's so valuable that it almost seems comical that you could get caught up in, you know, had a good cone shuttle. Like, we're going with that. You know what I mean? Like, the combine's important, (laughs) no question, but you brought up a good point. It's like game situations, drills, all that sort of stuff. And now we've got this landscape where you've got the draft that's going to be quarterback rich and teams that are quarterback desperate. You've got this revolving door of guys moving around. So Derek Carr goes to New Orleans. That solves their problem at quarterback, at least for the interim. 
Daniel Jones stays, and he got a lot of money, by the way. He got $160 million from the Giants. I think, you know, he had a good season last year and got him a playoff win. And you got Geno Smith now in Seattle. The interesting thing with Geno is he signs a three-year extension, and there's still that thought that, wait, could he be the guy as the bridge to the next guy? Because everyone remembers when Patrick Mahomes was drafted into the NFL. He sat for an entire year, right, behind Alex Smith. I do wonder if there's something there. And I know John Schneider talked about this at the Combine, that signing Geno isn't going to preclude them from picking a guy. I do wonder with the draft capital that they have and the situation that they've got, if this isn't the time to go out and land a quarterback and then let him marinate for a year behind Geno Smith. And if there was a guy who wanted to marinate, it's it's Richardson. Richardson, right. It's, it's yeah. the guy who needs, yeah, who just needs some footwork training, and that's it. And just like reps, just to, to where it's second nature and he's not thinking about it anymore. I think that's uh, that's the guy that I would sit behind him immediately. And, by the way, they, they pick high enough where they might be able to get him. Now, the downside is they probably were sitting back thinking, this is, you know, we want this guy. We're going to keep our eye on this guy, whatever it is. And uh, and then suddenly he came to the combine and up, tested yeah. like the freak athlete that everybody, you know, was surprised to see that he was. And now, you know, you can't slide that guy through anymore and hope that he falls to a certain spot. So I think they're going to have to really gauge. It's, this is where it gets difficult because you – Getting to this point, there's lots of smoke screens. I think we're going to see a lot of smoke screens when it comes to quarterback. This is not going to be, oh, the Niners traded up the three to take Mac Jones. We're not going to deal with that. What we're going to deal with is uh, such and such team is looking to trade up desperately to get Anthony Richardson or to get C.J. Stroud or whatever it is. Um, and and I think that these are legitimate prospects. Not that Mac Jones isn't, but you know, at the time even when Mac Jones came out of Alabama, everybody, you know, not everybody was sold on him, and and you kind of seen why. So. Uh, I think that the stakes are going to be high with the first few guys in the position. And uh, and it is going to be very interesting that a team like Seattle makes perfect sense to do something like that. Because, yeah, and you talked about Daniel Jones. That's a lot of money, but that's the Dak Prescott standard deal that he signed, what, yeah. three years ago at this time. So uh, it's there's there's some precedent for that, although I, I don't know if I'd put Daniel Jones and Dak Prescott in the same area uh, in the same level of discussion. I don't know. There's a little bit weird. Uh, there's a little bit of uncertainty with uh with with daniel jones you know it's been one year of solid football but it happened to be the best time to have that one year so i think that uh yeah the seahawks with the with the geno smith deal i was a little bit surprised but i also think that pete carroll and john schneider are the guys that they're the types of guys that reward the guys that stick with them when everybody else is moving on from that and last year was one of those years for the seahawks i mean they you got you guys probably talked to me about it i I was like, this is the fluid rebuild. Like, they're going to try to be competitive, but I don't see a lot of hope for them because they just had a lot of holes. But what they did well is they drafted well, and Geno played his tail off. And and the draft picks, you know, and the quarterback playing well combined helped them to the playoffs. And and so I think that, you know, Schneider and Carroll are the types of guys that, hey, you stuck with us, we're going to reward you. And and we believe in you, Geno. Now, you notice it's not like a five-year deal. It's a little three-year deal. And I bet based on how it's structured, they could probably get out after two. But it gives them the answer right now, and it also rewards Gino for what he did uh, when most nobody believed in him actually getting that job. Nick, you're the best, buddy. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the off season. We'll probably be calling you again in like a week or something. Yeah, I was going to say, we, I mean, I'll see you next week because <laughs> yeah. we got free agency. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Nick. Appreciate it. That's uh, Nick. All right, guys. Thanks. Yeah, see you. Nick Shook from NFL.com, one of my favorites here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Do you want to know a perfect example of my lack of focus? Is do tell at the end of the season, I was like a hundred percent on use that fifth overall pick to help the Seattle defense. Okay, right? Like, you need to get someone in there that can help this defense that cannot stop the run. Uh, you know, like it was embarrassing. Remember some of the Seahawks games that we watched? It was like, 
you know, even the playoff game. Right? Taysom like Hill were, has 12 rushing touchdowns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were times where it was like the Seahawks could not make a tackle. Yeah. So we were talking about like bring in Jalen Carter, and that was before his off field stuff, but like bring in whoever, whoever can make a play there. Because they just, you know, they had some guys in the secondary that could make plays, but they didn't seem to have anyone that was in the business of stopping the run that could make a tackle. So at the end of the season, you so were very much season, like, go team defense here. Go team defense. And now I'm like, oh, you know, like, what are these quarterbacks? Like, it would be so interesting to bring in a quarterback at this situation. And I wonder what the Seahawks are thinking. You know, publicly they've said, like, we might not be in the position of drafting fifth overall again. This is a unique situation, and I know some people have been like, yeah, there's some guys in the next year's draft as well. Mm-hmm. Like Caleb Williams, who's at USC, or even the Huskies quarterback, Michael uh, Penix. Not not what you think. It's Penix. I don't know about that. Um, so maybe wait on that. But the Seahawks, their thinking might be like, if we have a good draft and we land some impactful players, we're not going to be drafting in the top five. This, no. this is a unique situation for us. So if we love one of these quarterbacks, mm-hmm. whether it's Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson, and one of those quarterbacks is available to us at number five, do we have to do this? Is this one of those things we have to do? Otherwise, we might look back on this opportunity that we had and go, ah, we shouldn't have gone for the edge rusher. What's the gold standard in the NFL right now? In terms of talent and in terms of winning Super Bowl, Patrick Bowls, Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, right? When the Chiefs made that decision, they had Alex Smith entrenched as the quarterback. A very good, very competent NFL quarterback that could get you to the playoffs and would put up pretty solid numbers, wouldn't turn the ball over a lot. But they knew inherently that he wasn't going to be the guy long term. He wasn't a franchise quarterback. Does that sound like anybody? Does that sound like There's anybody? Actually, that's almost like a perfect analogy. Alex Smith to Gino. It's exactly. I mean, their last names are the same. That's right. <laughs> you see where I'm going with wow. it? Wow. Here's the thing. They look though. like brothers. The the Chiefs were in no rush to draft Mahomes and throw him into the fire. He he sat for a year. He worked on the things he needed to work on. Mm-hmm. He was the tenth overall pick in that draft. It wasn't like they 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 moved up. I think they moved up from 27 to 10. But it's not like they jumped into the top three spots in the draft. But they identified a guy that had. What are the things that they're talking about with Richardson? Arm talent. Electric ability to make throws. So should yeah, the Seahawks try and tank to get Phoenix? No, you're missing the... Please don't, please don't please. call him Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. His name is but Penix. Good Phoenix reference. Not his name, but funny. Um, I, I, I originally, and I was with you, I thought take the fifth overall pick and the 20th overall pick and bolster your, your defense. Get a run stuffer. Get a linebacker. Get a rush edge yeah. guy. Whatever. And now I'm like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> if one of those guys is available, they might not be. Like, see, it could easily go. It could. Uh, it could easily go. Someone like the Colts trades up to get the first overall pick from the Bears, and then they take their quarterback. And then um, the Texans, the Texans are going to take another quarterback. And someone could trade up to get the third overall pick. So all the quarterbacks that they like could be off the board. And then they're like, okay, we'll take someone on defense. Uh that's a story for the end of April when the NFL draft is. Uh, Chris Faber is going to join us next to talk about the Canucks, the Anaheim Ducks. Those two teams square off tonight in a meaningless matchup at Rogers Arena. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.